Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Metcast, the podcast of Manchester Metropolitan University. My name is Dan Cotton and in this episode I explore the topic of bone health with Dr Alex Island from the University's Institute of Sport. With a year of high-profile sporting events ahead of us in 2022, the Wimbledon Championships are already well underway in London. With players such as Rafael Nadal suffering recent bone injuries that are impacting their performance, I spoke to Dr Ireland about his research in this area and the effect that competing at an elite level of sport can have on your bones. Firstly, I asked him about his work with tennis players and what this has told us about bone health in general. We noticed that in these elite youth tennis players, they had about 40% more bone in their racket arm than their non-racket arm. A combination of it being bigger, the bone, a sort of larger cross-sectional area and more dense. Yeah, really showing sort of massive potential for exercise to change the shape of our, our bones. And we did do some work in older people and that was quite interesting. Some of the conclusions that we could get from that is that there was still a big benefit in people even when they're in the 60s and 70s, it was less pronounced in older people. So the suggestion we had was that, you know, you have big, strong muscles stressing the bones when you're younger and you're less able to have that even when you're exercising when you're older. And also there's some idea that actually the bone might be less sensitive to this loading when it does happen. And yeah, we've done other work in in master athletes in, in different kind of athletic populations, but that's really about, particularly in youth, what we do, the physical activity that we do really shapes our bones. It really has a sort of massive effect. You can see it on the other side, like work that we've done with people with a spinal cord injury. They lose up to about 50% of the bone in their legs to an injury. So to flip it the other way, almost just the walking and the activity that you and I do every day effectively doubles our bone mass from if we didn't walk at all. You, you sort of see muscles blow up with exercise and you think about that, but the same's happening to your skeleton underneath with sort of implications for osteoporosis, fracture, osteoarthritis and so on. So with that in mind, are your bones affected by the age you start playing a sport like tennis? Does younger age have a bigger effect or does it not make a difference if you start playing a sport later in life? What we, we've shown is that in one of the studies that we had kind of a quite a, a different pattern of adaptation in people when when you do things in childhood as opposed to when you do it in adulthood. So again, as I mentioned, when you're younger, you can make the bones wider and you can make them more dense. So again, the wrist bones of these youth tennis players are about 20% bigger. So you sort of see the difference on the scans between the two bones. But when we looked at people who'd started playing these older players, they'd all played for about 20 years, but they'd started in the 30s, 40s, 50s. There was no difference in size between the two bones at the joint. So effectively, you can grow your skeleton. It's kind of quite plastic and receptive to this loading and it will change quite dramatically in childhood. But once you reach maturity, once you stop growing about sort of 17, 18, you can still make it more dense, but that unique opportunity that you have where you've got this receptive skeleton as you're growing, and, and this is the really, you know, the good chance to get kids active, get them doing high impact activities, running and jumping and things like that, that will have lifelong benefits to their, their skeleton. So does the type of exercise you do affect the health of your bones? And are there certain exercises that are better for bone health than others? Yeah, they adapt to these kind of 
differences in this strain so basically when every time you if when you're jogging every time your foot hits the ground your shin bone gets about a millimeter shorter it actually gets squashed and the majority of the forces are what's provided by muscle so muscle is the thing that that stresses it and muscle acts in very different ways it produces different amounts of force depending on the type of action so bouncing movements like hopping like skipping jumping sprinting they make the muscle stretch as, and, and get longer as it, it's making force and under those conditions it produces really high forces so things you'll notice that yeah jumpers sprinters basketball players people who have that impact element like tennis players have really strong bones whereas if we look at swimmers and cyclists they don't have that impact element so the muscles not being made to act in the same way actually their bone is no different to a couch potato so a swimmer has no advantage and actually their bones can be even worse because once they've done a heavy swimming session you tend to go and rest for the rest of the day and so their, their loading can be kind of even less than you know you or I as kind of everyday people. That's really interesting and maybe something not many people think about so when it comes to these sports that are having a big impact on bone health and especially tennis in particular what kind of impact do we see on bone health when elite players retire from the sport? I mean, we obviously have a few players at Wimbledon this year who are closer to the end of their careers. So will their bone health be affected if they all of a sudden stop playing tennis? Yeah, that's really interesting. So it's something that colleagues in Canada looked at. It's a really cool study where they recruited retired Major League Baseball players. So again, baseball has a similar thing that the players have a big advantage in their throwing pitching arm. And say so looked at professional players who stopped playing 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. They had a, like a 90 year old ex-pitcher they looked at and they looked at the difference between the two. So as I mentioned, the, the bone gets bigger and it gets more dense. So there's more bone in it. It's a wider bone with a thicker wall. And what would happen over time as they, they looked at these people after 10 or 20 years, the advantage in thickness of the bone would wane so that they, after about 20 or so years, they probably had similar bone mass to their non-throwing arm. But the bone stayed being wider. And it's a kind of maybe a complex thing to come across, but essentially how strong a tube like a bone is, is a combination of how much bone you've got and, and how it's distributed. So actually, if you take the same amount of bone and you put it into a wider, thinner walled shape, it's stronger. So that's why lots of things in engineering are sort of thin walled tubes, because it can be very light and very strong. And so these older players, even 50, 60 years after they'd play it, finished playing, their bones were still wider than their non throwing arm so we would expect that these tennis players again they're increasing this size of their like skeletal envelope they develop through puberty and so we'd expect the advantages in mass to waste away but they probably still have a bigger wider skeleton and so they probably still have advantages in bone health even when they're into sort of their 70s and 80s and so on I suppose when it comes to bone health, it's not something people immediately think about when it comes to elite athletes. Do you think there's more work that needs to be done in this area to raise awareness? And what kind of future research do you think could have an impact on a sport like tennis? So some other work we've done is looked at amenorrhea in, so this is when you have disturbed menstruation in female athletes, and it's quite common, particularly in weight controlled sports, things like, for example, distance running, very high incidence of, again, it's stress, 
restricted nutrition and these women are prone to stress fractures but also they're sort of storing up problems for later life that in many cases even though they're active their bone health is worse than somebody who's inactive because of the stress that they're putting on the body the hormonal dis uh, disturbance and so we all have these trajectories that we are all unfortunately from our age be losing bone and so if you start from a lower place as in an, an, an active person, you know, the chances of becoming osteoporotic and in, having a very high fracture risk are, are probably very high. So that is something that as part of a broader picture of people becoming more aware of female re reproductive health and female specific kind of health issues in sport, the issue of bone health, particularly in those type of sports, is something looking a lot more at. So it's more kind of athletes' long-term health that really is is the concern here. That and perhaps you might not suspect that these people who are world-leading athletes would be. You'd expect them to be kind of yeah leading, having wonderful musculoskeletal health, but the opposite may well be true. And again, it's not something you notice if you're weak. You know, if you if you have sarcopenia, if you have poor muscle health, you notice that your balance is poor. You notice that it, you struggle to get out of a chair or you're out of breath. When you have poor bone health, you, you're often unaware of being osteoporotic until you have a major fracture. So it's sort of known as a silent disease because we often have it for several decades without any day to day effects. So ultimately, I was saying that the type of sport and activities you start doing early in your life is going to determine the health of your bones way into the future. It seems that it's not so much an issue that someone might be playing elite tennis until they're 40, but it's how much they've played before then and, and earlier in their life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it even goes further than that. So a lot of the work I've done maybe over the last five or six years is looking at the first kind of events in life. So we're looking at Prenatal movements are kicking in the womb. We looked at kids who were breech, uh, so they don't kick so much in the womb. And also babies and looking at their walking age, we found that in different sets of data that children who were walked earlier, so were loading their bones earlier in life, had much bigger, stronger bones at 18 months. And then in a group we looked at 18 years. And then we were lucky enough to get some data in people in the 60s. And there was a big difference that even people who walked early six decades beforehand had sort of much bigger, stronger bones. And there were differences in the shape of the spine, the shape of the hip as well. So it, you say that the skeleton is, is exploding you know you think it's it's the whole body growth is led by the skeleton it, that that's the thing that's sort of leading growth and it, it is a real explosion and it seems so receptive to these sort of loading cues in, in the earliest stage of life with a potential to sort of give these unique benefits to the bone that, that lasts the rest of your life Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Metcast, the podcast of Manchester Metropolitan University. Your feedback is always welcome, as are much-needed review ratings on iTunes, so if you have a moment, please head there to let us know what you think. You can subscribe to the podcast on your preferred podcast platform. That's all for now. Until next time, goodbye.